Welcome to another inspiring message from Pastor John Cameron, lead pastor of Arise Church in New Zealand. We know this message will empower and inspire you. If you have a Bible, we're going to turn this morning to the book of Leviticus, the book of Leviticus. We uh, uh, started a series last Sunday that we're picking up again this Sunday, both this morning and again tonight. It's a little mini-series, only over three weeks, and it's entitled, You Lost Me at Leviticus. You Lost Me at Leviticus. And uh, this book breaks a lot of people's dreams. You start the year in January with a goal to read the Bible cover to cover, get to Leviticus, and then... You lost me at Leviticus. But this book uh, has so much truth in it that is from God to us to explain His patterns and His ways of uh, dealing with us, what He wants us to know about who He is, reveals to us a lot about God. And so I really believe this series is going to help people. This book, this book just rocked my life earlier this year, and I believe God's going to speak. So, Father, we just want to pray as we turn to Your Word. I pray that You would incline Your ear towards us. I pray that, Father, You would speak to us. Uh, Lord, I'm praying that you would um, anoint this message. I, I pray that truth would come alive in hearts. I, I pray for a spirit of revelation to be in the service. And Lord, that every rugby watcher would be kept awake. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm so grateful that the All Blacks won this morning because uh, if it didn't, I would have had to preach today in a Springboks jumper because I, I made a bet while I was in South Africa. <laughs> My kids were distraught that I made a bet, and then even more distraught when they saw the scoreline. They were so happy when we won. Um, it's so easy to wear black, isn't it? It's like, even if you're from South Africa, it's still kind of cool to wear an all-blacks jumper, but, but green and gold are just ugly colors, let's be honest. Leviticus chapter 6, verse 18, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, and it says, any of Aaron's male descendants may eat from the special gifts presented to the Lord. This is their permanent right from generation to generation. Anyone or anything that touches these offerings will become holy. Now, verse 24. Then Moses said to Aaron, sorry, then the Lord said to Moses, give Aaron and his sons the following instructions regarding the sin offering. The animal given as an offering for the sin is a most holy offering and must be slaughtered in the Lord's presence at the place where the burnt offerings are slaughtered. The priest who offers the sacrifice as a sin offering must eat his portion in a sacred place within the courtyard of the tabernacle. Anyone or anything that touches the sacrificial meat will become holy." Anyone or anything that touches the sacrificial meat will become holy. Will become holy. I read the book of Leviticus um, this year around the time of a RISE conference. Started it before RISE conference, uh, then flew to America straight after conference was finished. And about one o'clock in the morning, two or three nights after RISE conference, because of jet lag, I was having my devotions at, a, at an ungodly hour of the night. And I read a verse of scripture that when I read it, 
it caused me to say out loud, that can't be right. I mean, I have read the Bible, you know, in the 22 years that I've been a pastor so many times, I guess, and, you know, studied it for hundreds of hours, you know, just to do the role, let alone my devotion to Christ. But when I read one verse from the Scriptures, it caused me to just go, there has got to be something wrong with what I'm reading. Surely that cannot be right. And the verse I read was the last verse I read to you this morning where it says, anyone or anything that touches the offering will become holy. Leviticus is essentially a call to holiness. That's what the book is. It's, it's, a, it's a book that was written specifically to the Levitical priests to give them instructions so that when the people sinned, they could bring an offering to the Lord, and because of the offering that they offered up, they could be forgiven of whatever sin they had committed and retain or return to their holy state. Whenever there was a sin, whenever there was uncleanness in a person's life, then Leviticus outlines the sacrifices that needed to be offered up. Because whenever somebody sins, the result of sin is always death. We understand from the book of Romans, the soul that sins shall die. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so Leviticus goes into great detail. These are the sacrifices. These are the things that must be brought, whether it's a lamb. We intentionally this morning closed out our worship service by singing the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God in my place, who poured out His life so that we could be forgiven. It was my death you died. It was my, my, my sacrifice. I forgot the words. But anyway, it talks to us about how Jesus is the Lamb of God who died in our place. And whenever these offerings were presented to God, because of the offering, the person received forgiveness of sin. So I sin, I bring an offering, the, the, the lamb dies in my place, somebody has got to die for my sin because the lamb has been offered up, excuse me, I am now forgiven of the sin that I have committed. If it's a small offense, then grain is bought. But whatever the sin is, there is always an offering that needs to be brought for our sin. And the Bible tells us that the entire Old Testament law is a school teacher. It's, a, it's, it's designed by God as a way of giving type and example so that when Jesus came to this earth and died on the cross for our sin, people could understand the significance of the death that he died. And so we understand because of the book of Leviticus, it, it establishes a foundation. If there is sin, there is death. The lamb died, the person is forgiven. Jesus died, and we are forgiven. But you know, when I read this verse that I'm reading to you this morning, when it says, whoever, anyone, or anything that touches the offering will become holy, my first reaction is to say, there must be something wrong with that. Surely, it should read, 
because I'm reading the New Living Translation this year, first time I've read it, and when I read it, I didn't trust the interpreter. My knee-jerk reaction is surely it should say must be holy. I mean, it says will become holy. Anyone or anything that touches the offering will become holy. Surely that's an incorrect translation. Surely it should say must be holy. In order to touch it, you better make sure that you're in a clean and holy state in your own life before you reach out and touch it. If you're going to go near it, you better not be unclean. You must be holy. In fact, when I began to read this, because in the middle of the night, I'm like, there's got to be something wrong with that. So I started reading every translation of this verse. And sure enough, there are a bunch of translations out there that translate this verse, must be holy. So we got some really opposing views. We've got one version we're reading from this morning, and it says will become. We've got another version, and it says must be. And if that's the, that's the, the contrast, then we better dive into this and understand it because there must be something crucial in here for us to understand. And, and it makes sense to me that it would say must be holy, that if you touch it, you, you, know, you better make sure that you're right. Because if you reach out and you touch the holy sacrifice, then you better make sure that in your own life that you're ready for that kind of responsibility. But as I, as I was challenged by this verse and, and as I began to look at it in depth in the middle of the night and I began to realize that, no, 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 the correct translation is will become holy. It began to dawn on me that If the nature of the verse is that in order to touch the sacrifice, I must be holy, then I'm implying that when I touch the sacrifice, I have the ability to change it. That when me, if I'm unclean, and I reach out and touch holy, then I make holy unholy. But obviously that can't be the case, right? I mean, we're basically saying if we say that, that darkness can overcome light. This, of course, is not true. We know that all it takes is a little bit of light, and light will always overcome darkness. That holy makes unholy holy. And the translations that translate this verse and they say must be holy, there's a reason why they do. And the reason why is they're what's called word-by-word translations. So the, 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 the uh, translators, in order to try and stay orig- uh, authentic to the original text, they go through word-by-word and they think, what does the word say in Hebrew or in Greek? And how can we accurately translate that into an English word? The problem is that they end up with grammatical gaps. There's one word over here, there's one word over here, and in English the words don't connect, and so the the, the translators put words in the middle, in the middle, in order to connect. If you're going to offer up a sacrifice, holy. That's what, that's what it says, because the, the Hebrew word has more in it than just 
holy. It, it, has, it has a verb sense in it as well. And so, and so they put one word, they put another, and put words in the middle. The challenge with that is that what's going on in the life of the translator can get a little bit involved in the way that you see it because it's a radical concept to think that if I am unclean in any state in my life and, and there is a holy sacrifice and I reach out and touch it, that when I touch it, I become holy. But you know what, friends? That is what this text is actually saying to us. The word holy, word holy in its entirety in the Hebrew means to be, to be. If you reach out and you touch it, then you, you to be. You become clean, you become pure, you become sanctified, you become holy. It is literally saying it doesn't matter what state you were in before it. When you reach out and you connect with that sacrifice, then what that sacrifice is, is going to change who you are. If you touch holy, then you become holy. You don't change holy. Holy changes you. Come on, we can give God some praise for that. Um, if the offering is acceptable, if it's the right sacrifice for the appropriate sin, then when you connect with that sacrifice, the holy changes who you are. This is so powerful. In fact, if you read on from where I finished it this morning, it goes into more detail and talks about if there's an earthen vessel that's used or if there is, if there is a girdle, which is a fry pan, that is used in, in, in preparation of the sacrifice, then if it was, if it was common before, it's, it's holy now. If you, if you used to use that fry pan to make your eggs and now you've used it to prepare an offering, Offering, then it's no longer common. It's now holy to God. Oh, this will change your life when you begin to understand that it doesn't really matter what your life was like before you connected with God. You might have been all kinds of common, come into this world through all forms of unclean, lived in your life in all kinds of low levels of living. It doesn't matter what the vessel of your life was used for before you reached out and touched Christ. If you've touched Jesus, you're not common anymore. You're now holy. You're not ignoble, you're now noble. You're not small, you're now big. If you've touched Jesus, your life has been freed from a low level and you just got empowered to live on a higher plane. It literally says if it's an earthen vessel, if it's made out of clay, it's saying once you've done with the sacrifice, you might as well just crack it and smash it because it's no good for an ordinary use anymore. Is there anybody here in this message who can say with me that once you've found Christ, you might as well just have cracked and smashed every worldly thing, everything from your past. It's gone from you now. You can't be held back by what held you back yesterday because you're ruined for a low level, you've now come alive to a high level. If you touch the sacrifice, you will become holy. You will become set apart for God. You will be freed from a low level and your life will come alive. Whenever you touch holy, holy changes you. Come on. 
Whenever anyone presents their life to Christ, they might have been common or low until now, but they just became holy because they reached out and touched the one who has the power to change that life forever. If I touch the sacrifice, if I touch the lamb, and we sang about him this morning, and he has a name. Are there any, are there any people in the room who know, who know the name? It's been a long morning already, all right. Any people in the room this morning from Whangarei, Hamilton, Carpety, Wellington, Christchurch, or Dunastana who know the name of the Lamb? Can you say his name? Jesus. His name is? Jesus. And the Bible is saying if you touch the Lamb, then you get holy. See, see, I mean, I, I read the book of Leviticus. I began to go through it page after page, and I'm suddenly starting to think, whoever, anyone or anything, anyone or anything that touches the sacrifice, anyone or anything that touches the sacrifice will become holy. Anyone, 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 regardless of your past, anyone, anyone, no matter what you've come out of, anyone, anyone, whether high or low, whether rich or poor, whether messed up or an addict, or whether just tootie polluty, it doesn't matter who you are. If you touch the lamb, then you get holy. And then I started to think, well, you know, what, what, what's that all about? And I began to, to think about the book of Leviticus because when you read the law, when you read it, and it's so important that every Christian connects with every page of the Bible, I, I began to realize that all the way through this incredible book and these incredible books of the law, the Bible goes into huge detail about this sacrifice, about the offering. I mean, it literally says if you're going to present a lamb, then it better be without blemish. If you're going to present a lamb, then it better not be blind. I mean, if you read Malachi chapter 1, it's like it gives a reiteration and goes very specific. It says your sacrifice better not be blind. It better not be lame. It better not be crippled. It better not be malformed. It better not be diseased. If you're going to offer up a, a, a sacrifice, if you're going to offer up an offering, that offering better be in tip-top shape. It better be, it's got to be your show pony, not, not your old one. It's got to be, it's got to be the best lamb that there is. If it's, not a, if it's not a perfect lamb, then it's not an acceptable sacrifice. There's this huge detail. If you're going to offer up grain, then it better be the best grain and it better be from your first fruits. If you're going to give anything to God, that offering has got to be absolutely awesome. Pages. So much on the sacrifice. And I began to realize that what's missing is any discussion of the person. All this detail about the lamb. When you came asking for forgiveness, the priest wasn't looking at you. The priest was looking at your lamb. Does your lamb measure up? Now, if your lamb measures up, then your forgiveness is a guarantee. You touch the lamb and you're forgiven. The lamb is acceptable. And if the lamb is acceptable, the sin is forgiven. See, many people walk into the presence of God looking for forgiveness, looking for a brand new start. And what we're doing is we're looking at the state of us today to determine whether we're right before God. But I want you to know that God's not looking at you. God's looking at the lamb. 
And if the lamb is acceptable, then the person is holy. Come on. I want you to know that the state of you doesn't change your state before God. If the lamb is holy, then the person is forgiven. All we need to do is come to him and we come not cowardly, not timid, not timid, not wondering whether he will accept us. The Bible says we haven't come to a mountain that blazes with fire, that, that you tremble when you approach it. We have come to a throne of grace. We have come to the mediator of a new covenant and his name is Jesus. The blood that has been scattered is the blood of Christ. And when we come before God, we come with full assurance that the lamb that has been offered in our place is an acceptable sacrifice for our sin. I'm not questioning my forgiveness. I'm not doubting my salvation. If I touch the lamb, then I am holy. Somebody give God praise right now for that. If holy touches you, then holy changes you. Man, it's such a powerful, powerful perspective to realize that if I touch the lamb, I will become holy. It changes the way you approach God. It changes the way you think about Him. I mean, man, friends, I want you to understand that so many Christians, I mean, I've been doing this for a long time, and I am one, by the way. I'm a Christian following Jesus. And I'm on my own journey, and so are you. And in thousands of conversations I would have had, I'm telling you right now that a lot of people, when they approach God, are hoping that they're good enough for the connect with God that they want. I mean, they're praying for their kids to get healed, but thinking about some pornography they looked at five years ago and thinking, is there a, is there a reason, is there, is there a problem between the moment and the miracle? We're thinking about a job that we'd really like, but doubting our own state. We're looking for God to do something, but we're not confident that we can come before Him. Well, that's because you're hoping that you are holy when you touch the sacrifice. But I'm here to tell you it's exactly the opposite. If you touch the sacrifice, you will become holy. Jesus Jesus has an amazing conversation that's in all of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and it's recorded in all three, and it's a conversation with a leper. And you and I are typified by lepers in the scripture, in the gospels, by people who are fundamentally unclean. A leper, a leper was on the outside looking in. There was, there was uncleanness in their life, an infectious disease. And if you read Leviticus, you'd find that they're on the outside of the camp. And they couldn't come in because their uncleanness threatened everybody else. You know, it's one thing, it's one thing to feel like you're forgiven. It's another thing to feel like you're clean. It's actually, I reckon for a lot of people, almost two separate deals. A lot of people feel like God forgives me, but I don't know if he's, if he's cleansed me. Whoever touches the sacrifice will become holy. And so in Matthew chapter 8, verse 2, the, the leper comes to Jesus and he falls on his knees and, and it would have been an appropriate distance. He, he's unclean. And he's asking a question. He says to Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now notice what Jesus does next. Firstly, 
knee-jerk reaction, I am willing. Second, he reached out a holy man and touched what nobody before him would have been willing to do. He touched an unclean man. Everybody else would have examined him from a distance, but what other people hold back from, God is drawn towards. What other people will not touch, God is willing to touch. And he said to the man, I am willing, touched him, and he said, be clean, be clean. I want you to know that it doesn't matter what's going on in our life. When you touch holy, holy changes you. When we reach out and touch Jesus, it will change us in our lives. You're not trying to be holy. You are holy. Hello? Holiness is not a state of accomplishment. It's a state of being. It's, it's not something that I'm trying to work at. It's something that I am. I am holy. I've been made holy by the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. There's nothing I could do in my life that will make me more holy and nothing I could do in my life that will make me any less holy. If that was true, then my own righteousness is somehow connected to my salvation. But the truth is that's not right. That's not accurate. That's not the Bible. The only way that I can be saved is through Jesus. Our salvation is by faith from first to what? To last, just as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The only salvation I have is because of the blood of Jesus. If I touch the sacrifice, I become holy. Come on, if you believe that, give God some praise. Give Him praise. When you take that communion cup in your hand like we do once a month in one of our services, in my head I'm saying, I, I, am, I am drinking holy, I am eating holy because of Jesus. It's not me, it's not my measure. This is, this is, this is the blood and body of Christ. This is, this is holy coming into my life, not because John is better than Frank or Harry, but because John has been made right by the blood of Jesus. If holy touches you, holy changes you. Whoever touches anyone or anything that touches the offering will become holy. Wow, what a radical thought. See, you know, uh, when we're reading the book of, of Leviticus, are you, you with me this morning? I mean, I mean, the book of Leviticus is written to the priests. It's written to the priests. It gives instruction on how to be holy. And we understand about the Levites that they belong to God. So it's written to the priests. It's written to the priests with instructions on getting holy. And it's written to a tribe, the Levitical tribe, that out of the 12 tribes of Israel belong to God. Well, check out 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. And we start to understand that you are a chosen people. I am, you are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. 
We are a people belonging to God that we may declare the praises of Him who called us out of darkness and into His wonderful light. We're ruined for normal. We're ruined for common. We've touched the land. We're destined for a heavenly purpose. Our lives are not in sentence to sin and bondage any longer. We've been made free and righteous because of Jesus. And if you believe that, give God some praise right now. Give God some praise. See, I guess the question that this passage highlights for us is when when is God going to be pleased with you? When is God going to look at you and say, you are holy? Well, from this passage, we become convinced that we can stand with confidence and full assurance before God, not in the future, but in the now. We don't have to improve three more things any, any New Year's resolution people out there? Any, any big task setters? Anybody got a little list of character things they'd like to improve? I will have one as long as I am alive. I just, I'm addicted to progress. But there is no progress in my salvation. There isn't. There's no progress in my right standing before God. There's no event yesterday. There's no flaw today. And there's no great deed I can do tomorrow that will in any way alter my connection with Christ. If I have touched the sacrifice, I have become holy. And however fundamental this is for our connection with God, it is crucial that we know it. Anyone or anything that touches the Lamb will become holy. Have you ever been around great people? There's two types of like talented, gifted, brilliant people that you're going to meet in your life. And one are the proud variety, and the other is the humble variety. I mean, the the proud variety of great and noteworthy people, when you meet them, they kind of look on you with with an aspect of disdain. And you wish that you had more accomplishments or more money or more wealth or more charisma or more perfect teeth or whatever it is that you feel would take you from the outside and put you on the inside. And when you're around that person or that group of people, if you're anything like me, you're a little bit angry and you probably can't wait to get out of there as fast as you can. Does anyone know what I mean? But there's a second group of great people and I've had the privilege in my life of being in the company of this group of people too, where clearly their accomplishments, their prowess, their their, their impact on society has been a lot greater than mine. But when you get around them, there's not this feeling of disdain, there's this feeling of admiration and appreciation. And the longer you're in the room with them, the more you feel like I'm not actually just a, a, a nobody, I'm not, I'm not a reject, I, I actually, I could rise to something. They see brilliance in me, they see potential in my life. I reckon I need to go on an internal journey, I need to grow, I need to live up to the potential 
that's in my life. I've been living beneath it. And meeting these people lifts me to understand that I can be more. I could do more. I am greater in life, right? You know what I'm talking about? The difference between the two groups of people is the difference between the two ways that you can see God. If you see God as someone to whom you must be holy before you reach out and come near Him, then you're connecting with a proud, arrogant God who's waiting for you to get better before you come close to Him. But that is not the God we worship. There's no one better than anybody else. We're all sinners saved by grace. But when we come before God, we come before a throne of grace confidently and with boldness. And we find a God of acceptance. We find a God of cleansing power. We find a God who imputes righteousness to those who do not deserve it. Just as we are, we come before Him. And the Lamb of God in our place cleanses us. What's the impact of that? It lifts me to say if that's his love, even though I am so flawed, I am so duplicious, even though I have lived so beneath his expectations of me that I want to take this life that he has blessed me with and live it up to the full potential that it has. I'm not going to live ignoble. I'm going to live noble. I'm not living common. I'm living for a higher purpose. I'm not living unclean. I'm living clean as much as it is on me. I'm going to fulfill the potential that He has gifted me with by His grace and His love. And if you believe that, could you just give Him a little bit of praise that He has accepted the least of us. As the band come and join me in every campus, let me close with this one thought. In the book of John, chapter 15, is that amazing picture where Jesus says, I am the vine and my Father is the gardener. And then verse two, every branch of me that bears fruit, he prunes it. Every unfruitful branch, he cuts it off so that my life might become even more fruitful. Even more fruitful. Then if you jump down to the second half of verse three, keep on going all the way through. He's like, man, if you're gonna be fruitful, then you better stay grafted in the vine. If you're gonna, if you're gonna be fruitful, then you better abide in the vine. Abide in me and I in you, and you will bear much fruit. I love John because he just has no structure, you know. <laughs> I'm not John in the Bible. My wife is, right, which is why she has crazy past names for all sorts of different internet accounts. And the IT staff in her eyes have to constantly reset all of her passwords. She has no structure. Um, but I love her. I've accepted the fact that... That her life will always look great until you open a cupboard. And then it's just, it's crazy town in there. You, no structure. John's gospel has no structure. He just, he just says it out of the overflow of his heart, which is beautiful. It's so different to the other three. And he says, my father is the gardener. I'm the vine. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it. If it's unfruitful, he cuts it off. And then before we're commanded to remain in him, Jesus actually says this sentence. Read it. Can you put it up, please? You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in and I will remain in you. 
No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Stay close to me. Keep touching me. Keep connected with me. And between the first and the second, he deals with the stumbling block that stops everybody from doing that. Because when you're good, you remain in him. When you're bad, you run from him. On your holy days, you listen to the Hillsong album. On your unholy days, you listen to your country and western album. When you feel good about your salvation, your faith, your performance as a believer, we come close to the throne of grace. When we feel bad about our performance, we run away from Him. And Jesus says, you will never be fruitful like that. You will never live the life I have for you like that. You are already clean. You are already clean. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. You can't get more clean. You can't make yourself more clean. There ain't no more dead old left. There's no Janola. There's nothing that will make you cleaner than the blood of Jesus. If you touch the sacrifice, anyone or anything that touches the lamb will become If you believe it, no matter what campus you're in, then I want you to give God some praise right now. Come on. Thanks for listening to this message from Pastor John Cameron. If you would like to find out more about Arise Church, check out arisechurch.com or find us on YouTube.